Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we are going to be uh, reviewing The Hunters Hunted by Bill Bridges, released, of course, by White Wolf Publishing Incorporated, or White Wolf Game Studio, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Uh, the Hunters Hunted is a book that shows you how to use mortals, i.e. us, human beings, as both antagonists and as player characters in the world of Vampire the Masquerade, the world of darkness as a whole. Specifically the antagonist. It's the hunters hunted. It's uh, The book doesn't really go, it, it doesn't go into the day in the life of a mortal in their affairs. It goes into the perspective of the theme. The theme of Hunter is sacrifice. <clears throat> Whether it's sacrifice of their own life, sacrifice of their family ties or their friendships, of the life they once had, it's about losing something uh, that you give up. Uh, for the greater good, or what you believe to be the greater good. Uh, we're talking fanatics, right? And mm -hmm. that's what the focus of this book really is. Mm -hmm. But from the perspective of you get killed by these fanatics. Yes. Uh, it is also uh, gives you information on how to run a Hunter's Chronicle, facing off against vampires, uh, being the horror that they are. Um, so for this time in the game, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a 180. It's using the characters you've played and portrayed and built now using them as the horrific entities that they are, or like you, like Bob said, um, using these hunters to show what a hunter of the night really has to fear. Right. And, and why I like this book. Well, I, I guess I could say that this book is good for defining the ideals and, and the thoughts. In the rules of the time, and now the rules of the time are still ridiculous. I think you knew that when you looked at this <laughs> for for their for their power base. I'm ahead of it, but uh, what what I'm getting at is is it does give you an idea of how to make hunters something more than a crazy guy with a mountain and a stake. But you, you can use them that. You, you know, you very much can. Yeah. In fact, I would say a larger percentage of this goes into playing the Lost Boys. Yeah. Right. I said the wrong thing. No, not the Lost Fright Boys. Night. Fright Night is what we're referring to. I, I thought you were going to talk about the Frog Brothers. But. Well, yeah, that's another good one. And thus I was right with Lost Boys. So, ha ha. Yeah. It's <laughs> the Frog Brothers and the Lost Boys are a great character for this book. They would be, they'd be a fun White Wolf Chronicle. I think terrible for a movie, but they were good for, for the, the aspect of it. Yeah, they can be a, a fun little scenario to run your players through. And uh, man, would the player be embarrassed? The vampire gets killed by the Frog Brothers, a white wolf vampire. That'd be insane. But it, it should and does happen. So uh, the book starts with a standard with an introduction, discusses the role of the hunters, um, the themes and the moods. And as Bob already stated, the theme is sacrifice. Um, but there are other moods that one can uh, uh, can shower your players with later on down the road. But the general mood is suspense. Right. Um, obviously, if you're using this from the perspective of having your players build hunters, they're going to be hunting down very powerful, very dangerous creatures. And it's going to go into all the different uh, different groups that, that hunt vampires, the, the actual tools of the trade of hunting a vampire, etc. The first chapter starts with a piece of fiction 
Uh, it's called A Hunter's Diary. And uh, it's a good good little story, good little journal. And uh, it uh, they talk about like the Arcanum, which I'm not super familiar with. I've never really been super familiar with the Arcanum. This book will give you an, a snippet, a window into them. They have their own book um, and another source book that has yeah. them in it. But the Arcanum is a group that knows that the supernatural exists and even know they know a lot about them. It's usually a group that is composed of psychics. Some psychics are somewhere in there, rare, but they're there. And then a lot of researchers, a ton of them. And the Arcanum simply are occult scholars. That's their purpose, is to know things and know why of things. And they have their factions. There are some that use the information to set up, uh, the you know, bring shed light to the mortal world about who these creatures are. And then there's another faction, the opposite side, that are looking to completely remain aloof and neutral no matter what is going on. Right. You know, if they found a devil worshiping Satanist vampire wizard, they would just observe. They wouldn't even stop what he's doing because they're studying them. Have you ever used the Arcanum in a game? Yes. And I will tell you, they're a fantastic source, like I said, if you want to test your players and their ability to maintain the masquerade. For instance, this book will tell you about the Arcanum stumbling on, not the Arcanum, but hunters of this caliber using the occult to stumble upon vampires. Mm-hmm. And this book, the Hunter's Hunter is going to tell you how that might look bad for either side because that's just how the hunter seems are supposed to go but the arcanum in here kind of throws a curve to it saying what if you were a vampire and a group of mortals were just following you around you fed you saw them there though and it's getting weird you know they were outside elysium and no one stopped them shouldn't it says this is odd mm-hmm. they could see you even when you're using obfuscate to hide down the street why is that who are they and you come to find out however your player approached them right they can get very hostile and violent with it they could try a manipulative approach really have a great role-playing scene, and all it took was to be followed. And all that Arcanum Scholar could be doing is researching you, the vampire, nothing more. That's the only way. And that's also how you can be hunted, too, mm-hmm. is this group, is the, your paparazzi that right. could really land you in a lot of hot water. Um, so we, we get into the story of um, Elise Barrington. And her hunt uh, for a vampire when she discovered the reality of vampires and her brother Robert became a ghoul uh, to an elder Torador um, and the tragedy that ensued from that. Uh, it's a pretty good piece of fiction. It, it helps you get into the idea, the mindset and the mood of a hunter. And these are people that in the best of scenarios have only piecemeal information about what they're hunting. For sure. Uh, even the most knowledgeable of government agencies, which we'll talk about later on down the road, have only a vague concept and understanding. And I think it's important to note that if you are, are are going as a player deciding to play a hunter in a game, your storyteller has allowed you to play this, it's important to separate yourself from the knowledge that you have. Because you're really doing yourself a disservice when you walk into a game, <clears throat> whether it's a, a tabletop game with four other players or five other players, or you're going to a live action game, pardon me, <coughs> with 30 or 40 or 50 other players, and you have all this intimate knowledge of vampires and the Camarilla and whatever every position is. Because uh, personally, I've experienced that a lot. I've experienced it as a player where someone's playing a hunter, someone's playing something weird and quirky and odd, and uh, it's just uh, they do it a, a great disservice by taking their own innate knowledge and using it in a way that 
you know, shouldn't be used. Because really, the life of a hunter is, is a shitty one. It's a shitty it's, one. The life of a hunter is knowing, and they have some examples, that you're up late at night when you should be asleep, and you're in a little small diner in the middle of nowhere, and you're drinking coffee. Black, always black, is a quote they use in there. And it's because you're always on edge, on your toes, the suspense. No matter what you've seen, and this is something I need to spell out for you here. The Hunters Hunted should never be a game where the, where the mortal vampire hunters, the players... Are still have to do research to find the vampire, i.e., you have them role play the nightlife of being a hunter, but they still haven't encountered a vampire. They still have no evidence. That's incredibly dull. I know because I ran a campaign like that, and what will end up happening is the players will want to know why do they know about this vampire at all? Right. You know what I mean? And then I thought about it. You know, analyzing it afterward, I think it was eighteen at the time. It was the fact of well, wait a minute. Why would they assume? Why would they be going after a vampire? They wouldn't know that. So I believe the story I used was that in the paper, if this dude was called a vampire because of nocturnal habits and the, the puncturing of women's throats. And this point, I had it be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. I just made it that. A serial killer who shock I'm M. Night Shyamalan turns out to be a vampire in the end. Wasn't initially, but because the hunters, the players specifically, went about tracking this dude in a very fucked up way. Um, what I mean by that is, is one of them actually convinced a family and didn't tell them uh, to meet downtown at this certain time because they were trying to shoot this particular film. And they needed their 14-year-old kid to be there in the film, too, because that's who they want to contract. And so they pulled their resources back on together, got some fake money put together, and hit the family with it. And they were they were with it. And I was in the most fucked up situation ever and had to consult this book. How might that go? Because that's weird. The serial killer is not being chased by the cops or anybody. And uh, one of the guys convinces his wife and his daughter to come and sit on a park bench late at night. Them to supervise and whatever to try to catch something. So this book gave the idea that sometimes hunting a vampire, you come across something far worse. It's something that could get into. And we'll get into that later, too. But the point is, where my scenario kind of gets off the pale, it's off the pale. Yeah. So to speak, it still fits in this book's wheelhouse. Really nice, actually. So, And uh, that kind of brings us to chapter two, where they talk about the hunt, uh, the history of vampire huntering, huntering, vampire huntering, vampire hunting, and uh, the methods, tools, and motivations of the modern hunter. And, uh, um, you know, this is a pretty uh, in-depth book, uh, or in-depth chapter, rather. So uh, you'll definitely want to read that through. And uh, that, that'll give you... Like like any other vampire book does, they want to give you, okay, here's where we are, but how did we get here? Right. What is the point of this? Where did this come from? And uh, that's what the importance of this chapter is. And, you know, read through it, obviously. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add? Not to at that? all. I mean, that okay. chapter's pretty cut and dry. The origins, so to speak. Right. Uh, chapter three, we actually get to the hunters, where they detail the more prominent groups. Um, the FBI Special Affairs Division the National Security Agency, the CDC, uh, the Arcanum, as we spoke about, uh, the Society of Leopold, and uh, a gang named the Youngbloods, and a vampire bloodline, the Children of Osiris. So, 
All of those are very intricate and interesting. How how deep you how deep you want to go? Well, um, <laughs> I how think uh, I think they're all kind of funny uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, but I remember uh, reading about the Special Affairs Division, and they're a little bit different than what you would you would believe your standard hunting group would be. They are where. And they iron this out in this chapter. They talk about the people who have experiences with the men in black. And basically, the Special Affairs Division came about back in the 30s uh, when uh, I don't remember the character's name, but it is in the book where they talk about how a Truman fed this this individual had uh, encountered a vampire and they under the guise of basically the Special Affairs Division is X-Files. And they bug weirdos' houses and do all kinds of really unscrupulous things. And that's why they're always able to show up before anybody else. Right. And because they have, they're all wired for sound. The thing is with the Special Affairs Division is uh, really the rest of the FBI doesn't know about them. They, they can't know about right, them. They, or they know v- the vaguest things about them. And there's only ever five agents uh, that are active. Uh, not well, including down to five. Yeah, they've they've been whittled down five to active, five. That's yep. yeah, that's that's important. They only ever have five because that's all they can afford to pay. Right. And he, <laughs> it's well, it's it's more than pay too. I mean, that's probably a good one now, a modern one, which should be that. Yeah. You know, with funding cut, you know, how do you keep this going? Right. Without telling anybody why you have it, um, the special affairs division at this point is supposed to be that they're attrition, because like I said, I said Truman fed for a reason. When the FBI came about. Um, I keep saying Truman. I think I meant Hoover. Yes, you did. He's Hoover. Hoover all time. So Hoover fan, not. But it's, it's Hoover era, era FBI. So what happens is you're right. The dude gets attacked, and he survives it, and he survives it by crawling dramatically, right, all the way to the hospital from where he got attacked because he couldn't lift his head. I guess. Yeah, he was sped upon and uh, left for dead. Great excerpt. Very ballsy frontiersman right. type. And then it was like, that's the man I want to lead my special affairs division. And he's, they've been doing, looking and hunting for vampires. But that's it. Like, I mean, at this point, later on, this gets corrected. These dudes are, they literally said to have the storyteller just always interrupt a scene when someone's feeding. And uh, they, their desire to hunt vampires is to control them. Yeah. To find out if they're a worthwhile um, uh, commodity to use against communists, role-playing gamers, uh, people like that specifically role-playing <laughs> yeah. gamers it is in there i love it um up next we have the national security agency which of course is going to be a little bit different today than it was in 1992 um and uh you 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 can read into that it's it's uh from from what i remember of reading from this earlier it's basically two guys that are sort of warring against each other in the national security agency Yes, but the broader aspect is that the NSA is the top in the world for information, yeah. covert or otherwise, and they're responsible for all those secrets. And what it is, is they get wind of vampires. And the two heads of, I believe, that Department of Field Agents, they go at it different ways. And what they do is that they reveal, they're, they're studying all these vampires and they try to pull manipulation games on them, and they did with misinformation. And they got one dude... One ca- and they insinuate this, one Cameril Elder and one Sabat Elder to go at war. And it took very little convincing. And they thought, aha, we have a means to get rid of this, whatever. And it turns out, later on down the road, one of them gets a meeting 
from a guy in the middle of the night. Like he's at home thinking he's safe and sleeping normal hours. Mm -hmm. Someone sneaks in at like 2.30 in the morning and doesn't threaten his life directly, but has to talk with him about what's going on and what's going to happen. And they start sharing information, which is why the guy wanted him anyway. Right. And he forces him to drink his blood so that he ghouls him. Right. And that's one plant in the NSA. The other one is his uh, cohort or counterpart, if you will. Counterpart's a better term. A very different vampire shows up to them and just sneaks in the house, dominates them, literally just mind controls them, and then says, hey, drink this, and that's that, which is also important. That's the origin story that you could force somebody to become a ghoul. Right. And why that's important is because that is one of those tropes. At every game, there's some people who are going to argue. It's like less, ta less taste great, less filling. One side's going to say has to be a willful act to become a ghoul. Another side says you do not. Right. And again, this is first edition. Maybe they'll revise that later on. Maybe they won't. They didn't define it. No. I mean, at this uh, point, uh, I I I do believe that you can force someone to be a ghoul. Uh, force servitude is a is a thing, uh, especially when you take in con into consideration using the blood bond as punishment. Uh, but that's actually for a different book. Not, it has nothing to do with this, really. It is. And the only tell I'll step on is that the other argument that's being made with that was made with that was um, the simple thing is, is that to be a ghoul and have some of the effects, certainly, but a full-fledged ghoul, that's questionable. I've been one to say, try it and see what happens. Yeah. Because there is a book later on that says, you well, you have to truly make it a willful act to make someone a ghoul, to share the, your blood benefits with them. And why they did it? They made three big old books on it. I'm sure we'll go over <laughs> later on with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> From the NSA, we have the CDC. And they mention in here that uh, with the information that the CDC has and the information that the Special Affairs Division has, man, would they be dangerous if they combined their resources. But they don't. And uh, from what I understand, what the CDC knows is that there's blood out there that doesn't seem to be human, but is. And they don't know where it's come from. They don't understand where it's originated from. And here's my second trope I disagree with about ghouls. The fact that the vampire blood can be discerned from their normal blood. I think if it's supernatural, keep it supernatural. If you're going to tell me that they're a disease that one can catch and get rid of, what the... It ruins it for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. It ruins it for me completely. But they out and out said the CDC, with the what is it, the resources they have and the knowledge that the scientists clout they have, just talent, that they would learn to synthesize the vampire blood. This is where I think your ultraviolet comes from. Yeah. You can synthesize vampire blood to make whoever you want a ghoul, and you would never need an immortal again to have this quote-unquote serum and that they literally give you that plot for a game you can build about the cdc getting it but it's all to point at one fact the cdc knows about vampire blood vampires will no longer be a myth the masquerade will the lid literally ripped off they would be dealt with right eradicated and used as a resourceful benefit guaranteed right Moving on from those folks, um, we have, uh, of course, the Arcanum, which we already kind of discussed uh, what they are and, and what their purpose is. Cult scholars. Supreme. Uh, then we have the Inquisition, specifically the Society of Leopold, and their uh, zealous quest to rid the earth of, of evil. When you think of the Spanish Inquisition, you think of Torquemada, you're referring to the origins of these guys in terms of their pursuit to the infernal and in immoral vampire kind they burn first ask questions never this is the people who i think are only antagonists 
Oh, yeah. yeah. You know about them at this point because they can only really be played as antagonists because that's all they give you room for. But if you, let's say you reverse shoes on the other foot and you make a Society of Leopold game, it'd be very boring. It Honestly. can be. It would be, it would be complete combat most time because they're based on that. It's supposed to be black and white and you're in their face. Right. I, I feel that these particular characters, like I, I can, I can definitely envision a really cool special affairs division game. I can, I can totally, yep. you know, that that's rolling out in my head. Society of Leopold, they're great, but they're great when you're using them against vampires. They're great when your your powerful vampire is fleeing in terror of these psychotic zealots. Right. Who have come to do one thing, and that is destroy them and anyone they've ever touched. Which, honestly, it's what makes them, though, I should say, and why they're worthwhile is because religion. Yeah. It's because religion is a cult. Oh yeah, for That's, sure. It doesn't matter what Catholicism, Jewish, um, Ju- was it? It's not, Judaism, Judaism. Not the Jews. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. Uh, Judaism, uh, Islam. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is that that's all belief and rituals, dogma, and um, the Holy Ghost, so to speak. And Society of Leopold takes one aspect of it and focuses on Christianity with the Crusades and whatnot. And they talk about, because since the Inquisition did come around, World of Darkness, it was a scourge to vampire kind. That is why that book is is really, excuse me, why Hunters Hunted has them in that book. And I believe for every single one of them, they all get supplements later on, too. Uh, the majority of them do. I don't I don't know if the... Or they're um, in a supplement book, right. excuse me, more I, defined. I don't know if the Youngbloods uh, have... Uh, honestly, I... They uh, do. They have their, their ghouls, The Reckoning, I believe it's called. Fatal Addiction. Ghouls Fatal Addiction. Yeah. They mention uh, exactly because they're not special. Like the Youngbloods are special because they define them more, but right. they give you the template and the whys you might have about a ghoul, their makeup, mentality, clan right. to clan later on. They get real defined. And the Youngbloods are less... A book about young bloods would be like ten people with an organization <laughs> right, and right. dull. And then uh finally we have the last one that they talk about, which is the children of Osiris. And uh those are uh actual vampires, I believe, an offshoot from the Suddites, right? It's a po- yes. The way it's written now in first edition out of this book, in fact, they are opposed. They are literally the children of Osiris and there's the children of Set or Suddites. Look up the religion to know why they warred. This one says that Osiris and Set were descended from the same vampire who they don't name that was of the second generation. Mm-hmm. That was different from everybody else. And that's interesting, right? Right. And uh, made him. And then I, oh, wait, I even, they even go as far as to say, like, for instance, Set spontaneously was a vampire. Osiris was too. That's what it was. That's another sh- offshoot they mentioned. It couldn't be because no one knows these things, right? right? That's how it's written. But what I could tell you is, is that they have a unique discipline called Bardo and a unique way of looking at themselves. They view that their blood is cursed, that all the vampires, the B1 is bad, but Bardo is a discipline that can save you. And it works around curbing your vampiric desires and yourself and others, protection, right. you name it. They're really at war with the Sedites and anything monstrous and evil. And I believe that, that uh, further down the road, you'll get more information about them in the Sedite clan book. Um, if not the first edition, definitely the second edition. You know, I don't remember seeing it in there, but that doesn't mean it's not. Yeah, we we so. we could be remembering things totally incorrectly, uh, <laughs> but there's like eighty other books. <laughs> so here's, here's the fact: the Children <laughs> I, of Osiris. I don't recall them being. They, I don't think that they ever go into really great detail about them. 
but I think that they do mention them in the revised edition Sedai Clan book. I it's been so long since I've read the first edition okay. Sedai Clan book. I honestly have no idea what's in there. I don't ever remember them reprinting Bardo. I don't think that they reprinted Bardo. For I think the they got rid of it. I think that they just I think that they had like um you sure you're not referring to Salubri? No, no, I don't think I'm because because they're Bardo and honestly you can see where Bardo was like the first rough draft and some powers. Uh-huh. And then what the Salubri get is the final. Yeah, I think I think that they got rid of Bardo. Uh, I think that they removed it. Anyways, we're kind of like talking about shit that's going to happen in the we're, future. A lot of but knowledge, yeah. but I think you might even be thinking of the African supplement that came out of any kingdoms. No, I'm uh, I'm definitely thinking of one of the, the offshoot bloodlines in the revised edition of the Sedite book. They have like three or four. I have no problem. We get to it. We'll answer this yeah. question, but I, I right. really don't. I, I'm <laughs> profound because I'm like, I remember both those pretty decent. I and again, don't. I could be totally off. This is there's a lot of books here. There's a lot of history. <laughs> okay, we'll get to. But it. We swear to you, we did the hunters hunted. Okay, right, so right. <laughs> we're back from Children of Osiris are the enemies. They're a vampire enemy that is not vampire traditional. Right. They're they're the good vamps. In their opinion, um, I'm sure that the Society of Leopold would have something to say about that. But completely be that as it may, we move on to Chapter Four, Living the Hunt. Uh, where we bring you to character creations, uh, character creation rules for creating hunters, um, character sheets and rules for mortals, merits and flaws. The, as far as I know, the first Vampire the Masquerade supplement that has Numina in it. Yes, um, it is. And uh, um, different powers, psychic phenomena, faith, hedge magic. What Numina is, it's supposed to be psychic powers but in this one it really defines them as two separate things which i found unique yeah they call it they call it thaumaturgy in this book actually uh but again we're still we're kind of like in the entry level uh you know we're the first year in to this to this, this was the stuff that after playing spitball stuck to the stuck to the wall right and and you, you'll see here as we go through this stuff how this all gets sort of ironed out and changed in revised you also see here the first mention of hand of god merit <laughs> now if you the don't hand of abused God, <laughs> always abused and, and eagerly wanted uh, merit always abused every hunter player always wants hands of god every hunter player always wants numina and psychic powers to go with that hand of god or they want a high enough true faith actually they want just high en- they want true faith of one so they can have hand of god and you'd ignore the fact that they went straight up thaumaturgy right Right. They they basically made a vampire, but uh without all that pesky blood and uh and having to feed on people. Uh but yeah, there's a whole uh whole section of uh and in, in this book it's called Fist of God. By there you by. go. Seven point merit, you do aggravated damage to a vampire. Um yeah, they keep it for a long, long time and it's a little ridiculous. It can be cool, it can be like it can make for sense. Sure. But uh, it's kind of ridiculous. Why they have it and it's important to note this is that they know that um, you, as a mortal, you're squishy and you can feel incredibly off balance dealing with vampires, especially when you go after them. Remember the reason for the game, though. Sacrifice, just saying. But the point of that fist of God is to give that player the comfort that if they had to get in hand to hand combat with the vampire, they can punch him. And that's that. They will do ag. Now, the caveat to this is that there's supposed to be that you are a living your living tool of vengeance for God is, is how that goes. Only the truly fanatical who have such a faith in God can get 
a god by the way doesn't have to be just the christian god or what have you you can be a satanist pagan god doesn't matter as long as you are a fanatic and qualify for it you take that veracity and add your faith with every action you do the purity of pain so to speak now i'll tell you what it really means for a storyteller who has a player who you were running a hunter chronicle and you're one of those storytellers that this is why you play vampire you know it's always get it get vamps get vamps get vamps and he's and his player still doesn't get that it doesn't matter how much numen he has he puts up his psychic shield only to have it get shattered against a bruja elder with six potents because he's a bruja elder and maybe not stat to stat but you can't get through their head they got to be subtle you got to surprise a vampire i mean it goes through the steps in the previous chapters of the hunters hunted how you track a member of the undead and you definitely can't hit them at night when they're at their full strength even if you have numina in the fist of god (laughs) right but if you have that player who's a friend and he would ruin the troops hard if he left and you know whatnot give him fist of god allow that merit and you're fine because players are going to ask you for it anyway every time um it goes on in this chapter to tell you more about numina about thaumaturgy which is you know read some of those first pass because when we mentioned thaumaturgy sure we're not talking blood magic no definitely not um and again this it won't be thaumaturgy later on down the road but that's what they call it here because that's what they'd already created Um, you may have heard the term hedge wizard right this is their origins so they have they have uh perception spells they have intelligence spells they have wit spells and uh, that's how they break them down. And so just as an example, a level three perception spell is called Voices of the Dead. It allows a caster to communicate with the recently deceased. The caster must be pre- in the presence of their body, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we're seeing like uh, True Sight, level five, allows a character to see through obscuring conditions like fog or dust, and even to penetrate obfuscate of the undead. Um, so basically, they're... They're hedge magic powers. Exactly. Um, but this is just the very basic early uh, early examples of them. In the revised editions that are to come, they'll sort of iron them out more, um, you know, give them a true identity outside of the vampire power. Because the power's got to balance. Right. You know, it's got to be fair all around. Uh, wit spells, shield of the thinker. Shielded by the spell, you're less affected by vampiric presence, etc. Uh, then they have faith. And again, this will even be ironed out more later, but they give it like a, a, a faith rating, a faith system, which is uh, um, pretty straightforward, um, but they go on about it for a couple of pages. So uh, they talk about faith and your willpower, uh, having a crisis of faith, gaining faith, losing it. Then they go on to talk briefly about playing non-mortal hunters. You know, if you wanted to play a werewolf hunter, I don't like a werewolf that is a hunter or uh, a, a magi, which is what they call them now, right. a mage that is a hunter. Uh, they talk about it briefly, but they don't go into it too much. It's literally like a blurb, like three paragraphs. And the reason being is because even in all those books, usually vampires are the ones you kill. If you're another supernatural, it's like, oh, kill vampires. You know, they're they'll, right. they'll get it's you. It's pretty straightforward. Vampires are kind of not liked by most of the other supernatural entities. And honestly, how you could, if you're playing a werewolf game, you kind of, you kind of, or excuse me, if you're playing a vampire game, you're going to use a werewolf pack to hunt down a vampire. You don't need a hunter's hunting book, right? I mean, they're just they're werewolves and they fucking hate vampires. Don't smell them out, attack them. There you go. They just don't like them. Then they talk about, oh, excuse me. Then they talk about telling a hunter story. This is the same chapter. They talk about theme and mood and uh, 
keeping the game going. Basically, they do everything in at the end of this chapter that they do in most of their books. They give you, the storyteller, some tips and tricks and hints and ideas for running your story and uh, telling a good tale. And then that's pretty much all. The rest of this chapter is all storytelling techniques. It's uh, all of it's pretty straightforward. They give you some, you know, advanced storytelling techniques and stuff. It's it's the same as any other White Wolf book. At this, this point, point, you know how to storytell a game is what I say to you. Uh, right. So this book is not that to help you storytell it. This book is to give you flavor for building three dimensional hunter characters as NPCs in your Chronicle, in your weekend game, whatever you're going to do with it. Right. Or how to be a player that's a hunter and exactly what it means to be one right that book this book is very very detailed for that um however the thing it's not detailed on which they correct later on is how to get very specific with those organizations a daunting task for the first edition period was that you had to have a big imagination to run it effectively because to mention like not even a full paragraph well it's a paragraph for what the society of leopold is you had to turn around and research on what well, the time with the library, unless you enjoy waiting an hour for the dial up to kick in. But that's, <laughs> right. that's back, back in the day, back in the M. If, if you could even find that. Right. So reading this book was like, oh, man, I guess that's what they are. What could that mean? What they're about? It could be daunting. Yeah. It, it basically gives you um, a, a place to start your journey. That's that's what using these these tools in this book because it's a it's a relatively small book and they tell you a lot of good information but they don't really get detailed like like you need them to be right so at this point in time reading this book it gives you a great place to start your journey but you're going to have to read a lot of other books to tell this accurately or just make it up as you go because it's not like anybody has the internet in 92 so <laughs> nobody can tell if you're full of crap or not um would you say that this is useful for now uh I would say it is not, and here's why. Uh, mostly because they're remaking it. So clearly even they know, like, hey, this is an important tool, but it needs a massive update. And to current, they've remade it. It's on the shelf. Oh, yeah. So, it's, pardon me. I uh, Same cover, almost same content. Too, too many gosh darn books. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's good to give you an idea, and... Um, later on down the road, you're going to get more ideas and more ironed out in other books. Um, so that's good. But but uh, it's great to have a for your collection if you're a collector. But I don't think it's a super important book to to add uh, that's going to be imperative for your performance as a storyteller or a player. The only angle I could see is if you wanted to add a layer of mysticism, because a lot of those powers are updated and obsolete. Yeah. That they have in the book is that you can reach into the Wayback Machine and still use those powers and yeah. adapt the rules to what you have now to truly add a layer of mysticism, especially to thaumaturgy. Yeah. If your players wanted different rituals, for instance, give them a go. I feel like if you are, if you've been following our podcasts and you've been, if you started at podcast one and decided to create uh, your game and you've been following us up until now, and this is a new addition to your game. Great. Cause it's going to give you a bunch of new ideas. But if you're a modern times player and you're not, doing some weird ritual and following along with us then nah, it's probably not a super important book today <laughs> right um just to end it up because uh it's got uh after that last chapter it's got uh two appendix appendices the first one is famous hunters if you feel like you know getting some ideas for different hunters definitely go over this but uh 
Um, this will give you some idea of people that hunt. Is that the first mention of Sullivan Dane? I forget. No, he is actually not in this book. Um, this one has uh, Siafis Smith or Siafis, however you pronounce it. Um, Dennis Quincy, the Uncanny Danny. Walker Grimes. Um, Kanglor, who's a lupine. I remember that. Yep. Um, and then that's about it. Um, I think that Sullivan Dane is in Chicago by nine second edition. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm pretty sure he's at. Um, he was a, he's also in that Gary book, the, the, the one when they started making the books again, um, he's in that book as well. So there actually is a revised version of that character out there too. He'll always be near and dear to my heart. My, my third vampire game I ever had, my antagonist was Sullivan Dane. I still remember uh, the plot I had was that there was this, uh, simply put, a fragment of the Holy Grail that someone had that they were auctioning off as just some random unique piece of gold from a Mithrasyrian time, mm-hmm. cult of Mithras thing. Yeah. And they had a fragment of it. They go to auction. They could feel it radiate a holiness to it. And one of the players starts crying, but they're crying blood. And they get noticed by their pale skin. And it be quickly became a hunter's game. Mm-hmm. Because Sullivan Dane was on it, <laughs> is what I had to it. And Sullivan Dane's stats are so good that anything they did, like I would, I would. Start, I remember this. I would start and I would take a note on three possible avenues Sullivan Dane's going to do to track the players because that's just what he does. First one was he was going to study, research all the parks. Right. He was going to be in all the parks to figure it out. And then the third one, well, the first one was parks. The second one was clubs. Um, try to get lucky in nightclub. And then the third one was my favorite. He was just going to go and watch the morgue. I caught people on the morgue. Yeah, like you would. And it cracked me up. Well, you figure players, right? They're vampires. Right. They're going to do whatever they can to stay out of the limelight. None of them mean the morgue, right? Remember, this is the third game I ever ran. I'm 16, okay? And then this is what it turned into. Um, Sullivan Dane uh, has a piece of that uh, that gold. It's in, in his white glove, and he's punching people. I gave him fist of God with it. Yeah. So when he's punching people, he's just ripping up flesh and whatever. I killed like three of the six players who were there, and they shot him. And when they shot him, Sullivan Dana could feel the holiness of the piece, and they still wanted to get it. In defiance, he swallowed it, but then it healed him. <laughs> was how he did it. And I thought it was. I thought it was cool. Like they they shot him, and even they're like, ah, oh, now what does he say? Something to the tune of, and I bet you're not so proud. You resisted. Now this is a gun, and now you're dead. And he was like. You're not getting it and swallowed it. And they were like, well, we'll just rip it out of your butt. And it healed. <laughs> that's, and That's a pretty cool twist. And I left it as a cliffhanger. And these people were like calling me. I mean, we're doing it tonight. We're doing it tonight. It's a school night. Can't. We're going to do it then. Nah, we'll weekend. Like fanatics. But Sullivan Dane, she is the most famous, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, those, those familiar with Gary, Indiana, or Chicago by Night will be familiar with that character. The last appendix is hunting gear and uh, uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna nope nah, we're gonna oh, go ahead go ahead find yeah. an interesting one gotta well, find an interesting we'll just one. we'll just start with uh we'll go to psychic um there's the kai kiafer crystal i don't know exactly how that's pronounced this near perfect crystal quartz has been specifically cut and attuned by ancient ways and appears to be silvered when a hunter with any psychic numina meditates using these crystals her effective level is increased by one Make meditation plus wits roll for maintaining this trance state during dangerous times. It's like, uh, okay, well, I don't need that. So they have this routine, right? Right. In first edition, every every character got a book, or every race that just say or faction got a book, mm-hmm. and then they got special tools of the trade or fetishes. Right. 
for that book. Uh, that's that one was ridiculous. There's one like the Garu's Claw. This dagger causes aggravated wounds to kindred, and in the light of the full moon, will gift the one who carries it with the knowledge of any kindred who stands near them. Lupines will continu continually seek the one who carries this dagger, as they presume, rightly so, that it belongs to them. Do you know why I like that, though? Hmm. Those things, I remember those now. I never got to use them, but I thought it would be super cool if one of those was in the city mm -hmm. on a hunter's person, but that hunter wasn't was a was a legacy mm -hmm. it's someone whose dad was into this weird stuff and tracking right. these things down and disappeared let me put it in a better term imagine if sam and dean mm -hmm. all that equipment is because they're legacy hunters right well they are and it's true in the white wolf sense are <laughs> legacy hunters you know they what I mean? are and it's true right right I just they are they the... are legacy men of letters but yes they're, <laughs> literally they're, they're legacy hunters and intermen <laughs> right Sorry, yes. but yeah, the point we, we've is we've gone off the rails. This is not about supernatural. <laughs> we don't watch that show. That's stupid. Oh god, I love it. Oh, but anyway, god, what are we it's possible about though that they could find one of those items and have the player drawn into their life. What would they do with this person, especially right. if that person turned out to be cool? Yeah. You know, this is what he did. This isn't me. I got my stuff. I got just, him. Uh, Embrace I, I, him. I just want to point out here um the the question that you asked me earlier. Do you think this is important to your your chronicle? Uh, at this point, just to iron home how unimportant it is to your chronicle, the very back page of this book has <laughs> <laughs> all of the hunter source books coming out from White Wolf, including the Inquisition, Project Twilight, which goes into all the government stuff, yep. Halls of the Arcanum, The Quick and the Dead, The Autumn People, and Antagonists. Done. So, yes, there's like a whole bunch of other ones coming. It says so in the back of our book. So if you can't guess it, this is like a wet your whistle right. type book. This yeah, is a filler. To draw you in. But the filler, so, so the book is a filler, but it's worth the um, read. Uh, not just for what Nate said, but in my opinion, just to re rehash it. Unique thaumaturgical powers or rights um, to give you stuff. There's, there's a way of working the rules. These The rules don't matter. The content does. And a lot of the ideas for the content was good. The rules just didn't mesh well. The other half is going to be the unique merits and flaws. Not all of them are bad. No, but most of them will be reprinted. Reprinted. So slightly altered, perhaps, uh, brought to a more modern, uh, basically brought to the same level where all the rules get brought to at some point. Less uh, grammatical errors. Better organized. But, it, but there's a uniqueness there. The other one is, I'd say, the items in the book as plot devices. They come out with a book called Hammer and Clay for Werewolf that they don't, well... I mentioned because that's where all they went nuts with fetishes and stuff and whatnot. Yeah, werewolves should get weapons and stuff. But for vampires, there's a Sabat Players Guide that also gets magic items. <laughs> yeah. Where it's where you hear Talbot's, Talbot's Chainsaw and Aaron's yeah. Feeding Razor. Uh -huh. Clearly, and I, right. I gross myself out how much is in my head. But then the other half is, is that you'll have a, if I'm correct, um, there's another book that they're going to get into aside from this before we transition to sex. Sect. Plural. That's what I'm trying to say. And... That will also have unique items they can have, but very few. This book is good to still have a couple yeah, and to still be unique. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of little plot devices that you can use. I mean, it is a world that's filled with magic of all sorts. So, Storyteller trade secret. If you're running a normal vampire game and you need hunters real quick, this book is excellent because of the templates. Yeah. At this point, if you don't have anything but this book, this is a godsend. Yeah. To give you an example of what those guys should look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, I would say, uh, you know, if you, again, if you're a collector, go out and get it. If you're not, uh, you know, check out some of the other ones that will come later. Those, yep. those, will, those will have a bit more information. But 
that's about it, man. I, I don't really have anything else to say about this book. Not the oh, book, geez. but what's next? What's next on Ooh, the agenda? That is a good question. Let me check. Please hold. Oh, snap. Guess what's next, guys? Clan book bruja. This nice. is going to get rough. <laughs> it's gonna yeah yes it is because oh. now now we really start to get into what this game really has to offer i mean we're gonna watch info blur together for both of us i'd say if there was any most used most played your entry-level clan your reason for the clan sex and the anarchs as a whole um history of carthage it ties together venture rivalry with the Burak. i mean so this is the book to launch it yeah definitely the first the first clan book is uh, one of my favorites of course um after clan book bruja we have two books that um i don't know if i want to spend a lot of time on either of them so i think we might want to combine them which ones they are vampire the masquerade awakening diablery mexico and vampire the masquerade mummy i will tell you mummy i'd like to skip we can't we have to go over it we, we do have to go over it over but we should go over it like I mean, it's here. This is a mummy. It's what they tried to do. Is what it, nobody bought it. Nobody, no, you, you, nobody listening ever heard of anybody. No, playing it, a mummy. It, things are going to start changing. We have a Sabbat book coming up. We have the uh, just basic World of Darkness book coming up. Be warned. Um, these may get longer, especially when you get to the material being more defined and our opinions and passions kick into yeah. it. We're passionate about all this, but we're starting to get into stuff that still holds relevant even today. Not that nothing has from our origins, but I treat first edition. This is the this is the bones. Right. We're going to get into the meat of it once second edition yeah, and, turns. And brief admission, at least for me, like I, when the first book came out, I was 10 years old. So <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't reading Vampire the Masquerade books when they first came out. It's second edition where I started to discover this game. And we're getting into that where like I can remember when I first got my second edition or my revised edition book and first read it and was like oh this is so cool i want to play this and knew no one that played it so yeah that's where we're going that's where we're headed but uh as always thank you very much for listening hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast and uh we'll be back next week i am nathan and i'm bob thanks we for listening are, we will talk to you later